Welcome to the Supplement Engineer Podcast. My name is Robert Chinetsky. Joining us today, the Vice President of Sales for Nutrition 21, Mr. Todd Spear. Todd, thank you for uh, joining us today. How are you, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to, to do this. If anybody's seen me uh, do these before, you know I'm not very good at them, so I'm hoping that I'll improve. <laughs> uh, I think you're, you're being a little harsh on yourself. I've listened to your interviews with with Mike and with Shane before. And I mean, it, it's, you are by far, far from being extremely awkward. I've done a bunch of these interviews over the years and there were some people I have to like claw answers out of, and it just makes for a really dry, a really boring interview. And so listeners don't know this, but you and I were talking for, you know, five or 10 minutes before we fired this thing up officially. And it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be smooth sailing. I, I feel, you know, well, I, always, here. I always, I always joke for somebody who makes their living at public speaking. I'm actually pretty terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been, let's get a little bit, anytime I have a guest on the show for the first time, I kind of like to get their origin story, their background. And so you've been with nutrition for 21 for almost 10 years now. So yeah. how did you, you know, get into this crazy world that we know and love as the supplement industry and kind of, you know, what, what, what is it about nutrition 21 specifically that you've uh, had such a tenure with them? Well, so I started in the natural products industry in, uh, I can't remember right now, it's either 2000 or 2001. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I, I was joking with Shane that my career is now of drinking age. And <laughs> um, which is kind of funny in and of yeah. itself. But yeah, so I started out um, on product development and formulation. I did mm -hmm. that for a couple small supplement brands um, that, um, well, initially uh, two of them my family had started um, and sold. Um, and then from there I went and worked for, I stayed at one of the companies um, when I went to new owners and kind of, that's you know, a story in and of itself. It's the only company I've ever been fired from twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that takes skill. That takes skill. It does. It does. Um, the, uh, I was going to say, the other thing was, um, and, and it's kind of funny too, because I would argue that in, in both cases, it, it was more political than anything else. Gotcha. Yeah, so I, I I worked for this this brand. Um, I went on with it, uh, you know, with the new owners, but um, we didn't see eye to eye on the way things were going, mm -hmm. and parted ways. And then they kind of wrecked the freight train, and I it had been bought by private equity, and so I was brought back to kind of help write the business uh, mm -hmm. as part of uh, a management team. And we did that. And then um, basically, uh, despite having a lot of success, they, they decided they wanted to go a different way. And I was let go and they wrecked the freight train again. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not coming back a third time. <laughs> Cannot get fired from the same job three times. Um, but yeah, so that's when I came to Nutrition 21 about 10 years ago. And um, it, it's kind of a, a funny story. Um, I actually was talking with one of my professors from college that I kept in touch with. Mm -hmm. And I let him know. I, I just kind of on a partially on a whim. I was like, you know, if you know anybody, you know, here's my resume. You know, I'm looking. Mm -hmm. And uh, it 
turns out that his cousin was 20 on Mike Satow's um, wife. Mm-hmm. And so Jim Martin, Martin, the professor, sent my resume to Mike Satow. And Mike was like, yeah, let's have a conversation. And um, long story short, um, I came to Nutrition 21 in January of 13, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, you know, the junior sales guy and um, worked my way up with as opportunity. Um, I managed, you know, our, we went through a couple VPs of sales and there was uh, basically an opportunity opened and I said, Hey, I want this position mm-hmm. and uh, here's my plan. And uh, I got, you know, they promoted me and it seems to have worked out well. Um, that was 18, I think, mm-hmm. 17 or 18, I became VP. And yeah, I mean, the that's the, I would say nickel tour of my career, but it was fairly long. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. And so as a junior sales guy, kind of working up the ranks to where you are now as the VP of sales, when we, I've, I've worked with different people in the industry and they're, they're in the sales thing, but for the consumers that may not be sure, is there much difference in like, if you're in sales in the sports nutrition industry versus like sales for an engineering firm or a tech company or it's like, what's kind of the, the day-to-day stuff? Are you interacting more with brands one-on-one or more of the, maybe the materials acquisition team at contract manufacturers? So for us, where we do branded ingredients, mm-hmm. I, talk to very few buyers. Um, I do almost all my sales to R&D teams. Um, And so really, you know, the only thing, the only other thing I've ever sold besides dietary supplements is um, the sales process is largely the same. It's a lot longer in a supplement because, you know, someone wants to buy a bike, they walk in, like, hey, let me test drive a couple bikes, and they walk out the door with a bike, right? right. Well, no one walks out the door with nitrosagene, um, so to speak. So yeah. they've got to develop a product, and that on the short side takes maybe nine months. But, you know, the bigger the brand, the longer it takes. You know, you start working with some really large CPG brands. You're looking two, three years um, that you're working on a project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from that standpoint, um, it can be very different. Um, you know, it's when you're, it, it, when you're selling, um, a component as opposed to a, uh, a finished good, it's a very different pro. I mean, look, selling's all, all, all the same in my mind. Like you got to know your product. You should like your product. It's very hard to, to sell something at least if you're ethical, it's hard to sell something if you don't believe in it. Um, And, um, you know, it's, it's about building relationships and, and, you know, helping people see where there's an opportunity in my case to use our ingredient. And so over the years, that's kind of what I've done. I've, I've built relationships with people and said, you know, here's the science we have. Um, and you know, this is why.
why you should use it. And from my standpoint, it's a pretty easy sale because we have a lot of good data. I think, you know, if I were selling a commodity, uh, like if I were just selling citrulline, I think that's a lot harder, right? Because now it's just like, what price do I own it at? How much money do, you know, do I need to make, right? right. It, it's, um, and I know like people in that, their standpoint is like, hey man, if I can make 50 bucks on a sale, I'm going to do it. Right. Um, because it's all about churning through it. And that's not to diminish it, but I think that that's a very different experience. Um, and for me, I don't find, I don't think I would find that kind of negotiation, that kind of sales very stimulating. Yeah. Whereas what I do now, I get to work with a lot of different, you know, interesting people. A lot of the time, I'm sitting there and we're bouncing ideas back and forth. And so like my background in product development is pretty useful because, you know, I can come up with, you know, some ideas and, and, um, you know, bounces off the people. Like the other day I was talking to a customer that's, you know, starting a functional coffee uh, product. And I was like, cool. Oh, have you considered this? And I, you know, was able to pitch an idea and, mm -hmm. um, I was like, you could do like a cafe de Oya, but have it be related to weight loss. And, um, you know, and sometimes people take those ideas and run with them. And it's kind of like, man, I wish I had kept that one for myself. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like a royalty on the thing. You're like, you know? I know, I know. It's like, I get a royalty, but that's okay. You get the sale. That's the important part. And it's kind of fun to just see it happen. And, and honestly, the thing about product development is there's a lot of pain in the butt stuff, right? It's the process, you know, dotting your I's, crossing your T's. Like it can be, it's a lot of work and it's a lot easier to say, hey, here's an idea than it is to actually bring that idea to market. Like bringing an idea to market is really quite hard. And I don't think people who don't, haven't done product development understand that yeah yeah it's always fun when you when you get to work on a formula and you think all right i've got this this is going to be the best thing you give it to the brand or the brand comes out and they start cost you know analyzing and they realize all right well this product's 20 dollars cost of goods that means we're gonna have to sell this between like 50 and 60 dollars to just yeah. make this a sustainable model and then you realize, all right, well, at which point, then you have to start choosing between your favorite children. Which one do you want to just like eliminate or sell off? Yeah. Can I give you that? Right? And they, so it's easy to kind of like sit back and say, well, they should have included this. They should have included this. And then you realize there's, you got to kind of go down the wormhole a little bit and see their shipping costs. Like the ingredients, like for example, nitrosogen, you mentioned citrulline a few minutes ago. Citrulline might be cheaper, or used to be cheaper, I would say probably on a per gram basis. But then you factor in, the weight you need six to eight grams of citrulline to match 1500 milligrams of nitrosogene. So is the cost of the ingredient justified by the offsetting cost that you're going to save in shipping that much amount of material based on however many thousands of units. And so you, you got to start doing all this mental gymnastics to justify which way are we going to go? Or is there like a complementary synergistic action if we combine maybe half dosages of both of the ingredients? Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's interesting that you use that um, comparison because for most of my career, you know, nitrosogene, you know, it's a premium product. It's got all this research that, and patents. 
that's expensive to develop and they're in in citrulline's been you know they're cheap like seven bucks a kilo right yeah. well at that point you know you could and by the way people were only using at the time like three four grams and it was more expensive to use nitrosity mm-hmm. but now you know particularly when you see this compelling data out of university of arkansas eight grams of citrulline malate is uh to equivalent to equate or equal a gram and a half of nitrosity yeah. well all of a sudden once you're like at twenty dollars a kilo for citrulline it's cheaper to use nitrogen and you get this list of benefits, right? There's a list of claims that you can make. To my knowledge, there's no claim on cognitive uh, function on citrulline. There may be a benefit, but I haven't seen any studies, you know, documenting that. So, um, you know, uh, I think that it's been a weird kind of last year because all of a sudden, we're no longer fighting the yeah, but you're more expensive. Right. Um, it's now like yeah, we cost the same, sometimes less, depending on you know where the citrulline market is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and you know, obviously, I'm biased, but I think my product's better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just you, well, that's one of the main, I guess, benefits or kind of cool things is that. You guys have done your own in-house research, and that's kind of something I'd like to get a little bit more into first. But the University of Arkansas study, they carried that out on their, at their own behest. That wasn't something you yeah. guys had contracted them to do. So y'all didn't know about this until after the fact. No, no it, we found out like a week before it was going to be presented. Presented, It was presented at ISSN, um, uh, I don't know what, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found out like a week beforehand that this – paper had been done and like when I when someone first said like oh they compared it to eight grams of citrulline I was like well shit that's not going to be that's not going to look good right like how could a gram and a half of ours be equal to you know a gram and a half of nitrosine be equal or better than eight grams of anything (laughs) that was kind of my thought and then we found out it was oh no like these are statistically equal and if you look at the numbers it's actually nominally um it's you know more effective and i was just like wow this is a game changer yeah but it was like i said when i first heard about it that wasn't like oh i can't wait to see how this came out because i didn't think it was gonna like come out in my favor i mean this the number i mean five and a half times more material like i would have never guess that it, you would have an equivalency yeah yeah i would ag- i would agree with that um when y'all are doing these studies so you'll have some of the research with that do y'all have an in-house research team do y'all use various like contract research organizations um so how does that work when y'all are carrying out the different studies we have an r&d department but they don't do clinical research we go to cro's um like cahs um, you know, that's uh, Hector Lopez and Tim Zeigenfuss, and they have a, it's kind of, they have a team of researchers in-house that they use. Um, and it can kind of, and it's nice was because they'll, like, they did work on Velocidotolipus, and they're able to reach out to Arnie Ferrando, who's, you know, arguably one of the guest guys on um, protein uptake and utilization mm-hmm. to work on our study, right? Um, and, 
but then um, there actually, you know, over the years, there's been some stuff like just recently we published uh, a study on new level that was done kind of in-house. It used this third party um, software called uh, Cambridge. Uh, well, of course not, I forgot the name. Cambridge Brain Sciences, I think is what it's called. And it's, it's like an online cognitive test. And so you just had to sign up, you know, volunteers that had, you know, to meet the criteria. And then they, you know, it's an open label test, right? Because they know whether or not they're taking the, you know, the new level. Yeah. And then, um, you know, send it out to the statistician, run the, stat, the stats, and then, you know, kind of write the paper. Um, and, but, but really for 99% of the time, um, we're working with CROs. And frankly, it's no different than pharmaceuticals. And it, it always strikes me as funny as people say, well, you paid for your study. I'm like, well, Pfizer paid for their studies. Like, yeah. how is that different? You know, like nobody questions whether or not, you know, Zoloft and Prozac work, but all their research is was done, you know, by the pharmaceutical companies that market them, right? Right. You know, the new vaccine was, you know, the COVID vaccine was developed by pharmaceutical and tested by pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, someone, experts had to look at it, but it's the same thing. Like, if you want to do a study and get it published in any kind of reputable journal, like, there's a body... Um, that is going to look at your data and your paper and, you know, evaluate what you're saying. You can't just like cook. I mean, I suppose you can cook the books and get past a pe people some of the times, but that's pretty rare when that happens. I think, I mean, if you look at the history of academic research, there's very few cases of people cooking the books and getting away with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a really good point. It's, it's a, it's an issue I've brought up several times over the years with podcasts, either with different researchers or, uh, you know, formulators or brandos that there's this weird kind of thing that you were touching on with supplement research. I mean, it's not like the NIH or the FDA are giving us millions and millions of dollars to conduct these studies. The money has to come from somewhere and very few yep. actual supplement companies are making enough profit to where they can just go shell out 50, a hundred, 150,000 dollars for a trial. So the money's got to come from somewhere. So it's got to come from well, and, houses like you guys. And, and here's the thing. It, it has to be, you have to own, you have to have an intellectual property. You have to have a patent on that. Right. right. If I go do uh, a, a study on citrulline, well, anybody who sells it, it's a generic. So anybody who's selling generic citrulline can point to that. Well, why am I going to spend a half million dollars on a study that everybody else gets to sell on. It, that, there's no benefit to me, right? Correct. Whereas like nitrosogene, we own the patent. We're the only company that sells, you know, nitrosogene and that can sell nitrosogene. So yeah, I can make an investment into that product. And, you know, we have millions of dollars tied up in uh, clinical research and all of our ingredients. And, you know, people will say, well, people ask like, why is your product so expensive? It's like, well, you got to pay for that research somehow, right? You just, exactly. and like, 
I guess I could, you know, say, uh, well, I spent, you know, two million dollars on research in this product. If you want to use it, you got to kick in fifty thousand dollars. Or I can say, you know, you have to pay, you know, this much a kilo, and I aver average out the cost of that study over time. And obviously, that's what we do. Yeah. So, and another I mean, important thing is, y'all don't just do a one-off and say, hey we got one study on this ingredient. We're never doing anything else, which is such a problem with so many of these branded ingredients on the market. They'll come with one, maybe two, and in my opinion, weak studies. But you guys have what, upwards of 15 studies now for nitrosogen? Yeah. Uh, gosh, it's a moving target, it feels like. Um, I think... Um, there's a bunch. There's, I think, now 10 clinical studies plus you know there's animal cell lines and safety you know we add all that in i think it's closer to that to 30 studies um and that's one of the things that i criticize um i i generally i don't criticize my competition um but the one thing that i will say is a lot of times i see products being marketed on cell line studies or animal studies and that's just, it's not the same thing. It, first of all, it's not, according to the FDA, you can't make claims on animal studies and cell line studies, right? Sure. The standard is competent and reliable scientific evidence. And that, when you get into it, means clinical data, studies in humans. And, um, you, you know, we are different from a lot of companies in that, you know, that's the other thing. I saw a, a study for um, a pump product recently that was done on like eight people, right? It's like. Yeah, there's the, the uh, listeners probably know to which ingredient you're referring because I've lambasted it numerous times. Oh, on this I, I, thought it would be, I thought I was being sneaky. I no. assume there will be another study and shit. I regret saying that because no because i've, they I've are, really just, i like the people behind the product i think that they probably have a good product um but right now you, their initial study is a little thin um but that's you know yeah. typically the nature of first studies are kind of small pilot studies are small you want to see this response yeah. um no there's a certain there's a certain ingredient that makes them rather egregious claims on the amount of nitric oxide percentage it can increase and i've taken that, that one past. too yeah 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 that's the one that i usually go after there was another one i don't want to name specifics but let's just say their their mark marker for assessing how effective for blood flow they took the patient's hands stuck it in cold water then gave them the treatment stuck it back in the cold water and saw how much the blood flow changed and how not cold their hand got because of an increase in blood flow based off this little uh, extract they were taking. And wow. that was their big marker for improvements in blood flow. I am not familiar with the pro that product. Uh, I'll save you the name of it after this. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't seen that one. Um, I'm not going to say I'm not a, a scientist. I'm not going to, uh, opine as to whether or not that is um, uh, an efficacious way of testing it. Um, I imagine they used a validated method. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. But, yeah. you, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Look, there's, 
I just don't like it when that's all you got and that's what you're making your claims on. Agreed. Um, I just don't, I, I mean, look, it's kind of like if people, if brands are willing to accept that, you know, I guess more power to you. My argument is that it's a, it's a bit deceptive and I see this kind of unfair competition, right? Because I mean, I guess it really isn't because they're not necessarily claiming to have something more they are, but I once had, um, and if he's, if he's watching, he'll know that I'm talking about someone compare, you know, an ingredient and he's like, Oh, I like so-and-so because they have such great studies. I'm like, what are you talking about? They only have cell line studies. They're not even in whole animals. They're just in cells. <laughs> I'm like, that's not to say that the results weren't good in a cell line study, but come on, you got to have the clinical too. Absolutely. With uh, these branded ingredients, company owners are often vetting your ingredients, whether they want to consider them for inclusion in the products. At the same time, you guys get to vet those people that are coming to you saying, hey, we would like to use your material. But at the same like, so what's the kind of the process that you guys go through at Nutrition 21 for whether you want to actually allow them to use your material and use your logo on their products or in their advertising and stuff like that? I don't like to say no. Um, it, it, I, but I will say no. And but what I typically do is I say, you can't use these non-compliant ingredients with our ingredient. And every once in a while, someone sneaks one past, like contract manufacturer didn't let us know this product was coming to market. They didn't get the license. We didn't get a label review. You know, the license and the label review are supposed to present, prevent that. But I don't, um, having come from the side of product development, I've had companies say, no, you're not big enough. We don't want you to use our product. You can't use our logo. Everybody's small. Eventually, like every big company started out small. When I started with working with Ghost, you know, four and a half years ago, they were pretty small. Yeah. Did I know that they were going to be, you know, the 800 pound gorilla? No, but I liked them. And I thought that they have, were bringing something unique and doing things different. So I was glad to partner with them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that by, the, by virtue of the fact that we say, hey, you can't use the, you know, I don't let people use, um, um, I'm terrible pronouncing these names, um, uh, Hordenine, uh, what's the other one that starts with an H? Uh, hygienamine. Hygienamine, right. Hygienamine. For years I've been saying, you know, you can't use those with our ingredients. Basically, I banned, sub, uh, banned substance control group. I don't know if you know them, Oliver uh, Catlin, the president. And years ago, he created a list of ingredients that were being marketed as supplements that he didn't believe met the definition. And, you know, he gives an explanation as why. Um, and I've largely used that in the di dietary supplement advisory list that the FDA puts out. That's like, mm -hmm. if the ingredients, they're not going to, I'm not going to let them be used. It. The one that I think is a real growing problem is um, detrinol, isopropyl synephedrine. Seeing that um, uh, Peter Cohen, uh, a year and a half, no, a year ago, published a paper where they went on the NIH supplement label database, which is an interesting thing. 
Um, it's a voluntary list for companies to publish the, their their labels, and they put them online and list the ingredients, and it's searchable. And um, I think it actually shows a lack of understanding about what's allowed and what isn't, because people will go on there and they list their label with illegal ingredients. And so Peter Cohen did publish his paper uh, like a year ago. Um, begin, yeah, I think early 2001. Yeah, I, I remember covering it. Um, yeah, and it, was, it listed like 17 brands that were using Ventral. And now if you go on there and look, I just looked at it uh, a few weeks ago, and there's like 30 brands using it. The FDA has known for four years that this this is not a dietary supplement. This is a drug that has been banned because of cardiac. FDA doesn't hasn't done anything, and it's like you know I don't I didn't mean to take the conversation in the way of this you know uh, the new Durbin bill, uh, whatever it is S forty ninety I think it is mm -hmm. uh, mandatory product labeling, which isn't mandatory product labeling. It's pre market approval. Um, but it's not, it doesn't address the problem, which is the FDA isn't enforcing things. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, look, and everybody, everybody's got access to Google You can go on Google and put in the name of whatever, you know, would be, you know, ingredient is whatever illegal ingredient and you'll get results. And, you know, that's all, you, that's all they have to do. If I can find them, they can find them. Yeah, agreed. And it's it, my uh, view on what Cohen has done over the years has kind of shifted from, you know, kind of across the spectrum because his method of, you know, testing some of the things for the illegal substances. I I get a little, you know, it's just it's kind of like he's going randomly and picking products off the shelf. He's not getting them directly from the manufacturers or he's using outdated products. And there could be two or three cycles behind yeah. on the thing. And so it creates all this brouhaha over a product that or ingredient that may not be as you know ubiquitous in the industry it. As, it, as it once was or something um but he came out and actually trashed that uh durbin bill pretty hard the other day or last week maybe or so um yep. just saying it, it's frivolous it's unnecessary it's going to add a bunch of extra money that we don't need to be spending on it so i think the only it's not is it costly but it's actually going to make the fda less effective because they're going to have to basically develop this database in this process and then, you know, there's the, the pre-approval aspect mm -hmm. of it, right? The bill it, language makes it very clear that the FDA is going, like, I mean, I guess there's some question. It doesn't specify it, it, it and I suppose there's room for interpretation. But mm -hmm. as I read it, um, the FDA, if they choose not to give you an approval to your label, you can't bring that product to product product to market legally, right? That's pre market approval. You know, um, medical devices have that. Medical devices get to make health claims. Yeah. We don't get to make health claims. We get to make structure function claims. They're very different things. Correct. Yeah. Um, with that, okay. So let's say you you if a brand is using non-kosher ingredients let's say and i don't mean kosher in the actual strict sense but yeah, stuff, yeah. you know that right. you know persona non grata kind of right. ingredients around the industry is Courtney, it, is it 
Right. Yeah. So if is it the fact that they can't use it in the same product, or maybe they're using it in like a stim bomb pre workout, and they just want to put this in some kind of non stim pump powder? So Do y'all kind of? I, I would. I would rather they they not have it in their mm -hmm. other products, but specifically, I care about what it is what is combined with our ingredients, right? Because, and here's the reason why. Um, people know and trust our brand. They see Nutrition 21's ingredient on there. There's a bit of a proxy, hey, um, you know, nitrogen means quality, right? I don't want to combine with something that can hurt them. That's my reason. I suppose, I mean, because really, from a legal standpoint, once I sell my ingredient, I don't really have control over what it gets combined with. And from a legal standpoint, you know, say they combined it with, with something blatantly illegal and the product gets pulled off the market. Well, there's no legal recourse to get me because I didn't produce that product. I just supplied one of the components, right? And, you know, ostensibly, I didn't have any visibility as to what is going to be combined with. Yeah. Um, that, so that's not my concern. My concern is that people, you know, consumers view our ingredients as a proxy for quality and that we are giving some level of tacit approval to that product. Right. That's why I don't like these um, gray area ingredients is the last thing I'd ever want to do is, okay, uh, have somebody use in a product because it's got nitrosogene in it and they get hurt. Yeah. And like I said, Dentronol, the reason it's banned, it's banned like almost universally uh, in almost every country because of severe cardiac risk. And it's like, <laughs> like. So let's just throw it in a pre-workout with six other stimulants. I mean, it makes common sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, look, we all, I am not oblivious to the fact that um, a lot of the workout industry is about vanity, right? And we're all one, like, I, I used to have hobbies and used to be fit before I had kids. <laughs> now I joke my, I joke my, uh, uh, my hobby is being out of shape. Um, but, <laughs> um, like, believe me, I know what it's like to try to lose weight. It sucks. And I can see where, like, man, I, if I thought taking, you know, testosterone was going to help make me ripped, like, without any effort, I would probably sign up for it. <laughs> but there's also the health risks, right? And, um, you know, for everybody, it's weighing those things. And I think that the thing is, as a consumer, a lot of the times when you're looking at a product on the market, your assumption is it's going to be safe. Yeah. And, and when you throw things in that product that are inherently not safe, I think that's um, a real disservice consumer, um, consumers in general and, and health, right? Like, I feel bad for the person that's going to take a pre-workout because they want to work out harder and get more in shape. 
and then they have something bad happen, right? You look back at the DMAA days where people were getting, you know, liver damage and liver failure. That's awful. That shouldn't happen because you're trying to get healthy. Yeah. Agreed. That's, that's the exact opposite of what we want. Yeah. And it's th- those kind of instances that kind of mar the entire industry. It's like it's something my dad used to say it takes one oh shit to ruin a thousand attaboys. So if you get one or yeah. two bad faith actors mm-hmm. in the industry, it's ruining or kind of tarnishing the reputation or, you know, any ground we might gain in people believing that natural products can benefit them well, in, in some in form or fashion, maybe not comparable to a pharmaceutical, but trending in that direction, at least. Yep. And, and honestly, like I talk with some of the other, you know, stakeholders in the branded ingredient space, because mm-hmm. I'll see their branded ingredient, you know, on a, and that's and basically I tell, you know, someone comes to me, they've got a product with nitros gene and whatever gray market in that. I tell them, I say, look, I'm not telling you how to run your business, but you can't use nitros gene in this ingredient. You got to choose which one. Yeah. It's your call as to which one you want to use. Um, but you can't use mine in combination with that. If you want to ditch my ingredient and just use this illegal stem, that's your choice. Yeah. I think it's as fair as I can be. But what, I, what bothers me is that I will see other branded ingredients in with these, you know, products that, you know, in my view are inherently not safe, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and let's be honest, it's also, um, it creates an unfair advantage against people who are following the regulations. Right. Um, and, and so I think that if every, um, stakeholder brand owner would say, Hey, you can't use my branded ingredient with these, you know, gray area things, it would be, you would see a lot less of them because it would be, you know, just, you know, generic pro- generic ingredients with the dangerous stuff. And then, you know, it kind of goes back to the, you know, I, I mentioned this when I was talking with, um, with Shane the other day, it's like anytime I mentioned to somebody, I work in the dietary supplement industry. Like I know how the next 20 minutes of the conversation is going to go. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, uh, how do I know it's good? What if, you know, you know, how, you know, it's all about like, how do I interpret labels? How do I know this is a good product? Well, one of the things I always tell people is like, Look for branded ingredients, you know, because they are a proxy for quality. Like if somebody's going to spend more for a branded ingredient, they're probably not cutting corners on manufacturing. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. probably putting, you know, the whole amount in there because they know like every product, you know, that's using nitrosine, they know that we're at some point going to be testing to make sure that what they say is in there matches the label. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of along the lines of the other ingredient houses, and I guess the relationship between Nutrition Twenty One and and the other. I don't know. If, do y'all do y'all view it as like a family of people trying to bring high quality, reputable products to market? Do y'all kind of just stay in your own area and say, "Hey, this is what we're doing. Whatever anybody else is doing, that's fine." Just how does that? How do y'all kind of view? Uh, or I guess in your thing, like, are you viewing them as competitors, or are y'all trying to raise the overall tide and kind of lift all ships mentality, or is it more of like an ingredient kind of ingredient basis? It it depends on, you know, the parent company. Um, mm-hmm. I, in general, 
better, I sell on the strengths of my product. Right. Um, in general, there are not, I can't think of an ingredient supplier that I don't get along with. Um, compound solutions, you know, usually at a trade show, Matt and I all sit down for a drink. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's doing a lot of good things. Um, the, the former president of uh, Kimmy Neutra, you know, who did does uh, Alpha Size, yep. um, Scott Hagerman, um, we used to chat all the time. Um, there's a lot of people. I mean, most of the salespeople, we know each other. Mm-hmm. Even when there's competing ingredients, you know, even if there's not a competing ingredient, we'll help people make that connection. Um, maybe not if it's like directly competition. Like, I mean, there's got to be a little bit there, but like, right. it, you know, um, there's definitely some teamwork. Like, oh, yeah, you've got to talk to this person. She's awesome. She's going to get you in the door, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, in my experience, it's very collegial. Um, I can't speak for everybody. And, you know, I've only done this for like 10 years. And I don't know what it was like before I, I did it. I know the first time I met um, Matt Titlow, we were at a um, uh, we were at LA Fit Expo. And um, we were chit-chatting, he, and I was like, oh, I, you know, I work with this company. Yeah, I can connect you, you know, connect you with somebody. And, and, and he was really surprised. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, why not? Like, at that time, we didn't, you know, that was, you know, when he had Bazo 6, you know, we were competing a little bit, even still, like, it was a very different product. And yeah. I don't know how many times people were selling, buying or choosing Bazo 6 over nitrosagene. It was usually like they were together. Yeah, well, so, they, they work on kind of like they, their end result is the same, but the mechanisms you know, of attacking are slightly different or complementary, even. I would say, yeah, where yeah. you could easily put both of them together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we look at pre workouts, there's usually a few different like pump ingredients. Because here's the thing like, there's pretty much with every, every ingredient, every pharmaceutical, there's non responders to certain things, right? Yeah. So if you want a good pump product, uh, or pre-workout, it makes sense to have an array of ingredients because it's then going to have more effects for, you know, it's going to affect a wider audience of people. Plus, like you said, you can get synergistic effects going, right? Yeah. So have I lost out to, you know, competing ingredients where maybe I made an introduction? Probably. It's not the end of the day. There's plenty, you know, it's a big enough pie to go around. Agreed. Um, as far as the, the branded ingredients, everybody is, is pretty familiar with nitrosagene, um, new level velocitol to a certain extent. How do y'all go about differentiating since they're so close in, uh, composition, nitrosagene and new level. And so for the, for the listeners that may not entirely be, you know, clear on the difference, well, there's an additional so, hundred milligrams of inositol in new level, correct? Yeah, it, it, there is. And I think that there's a perception among some people that, oh, Nutrition 21 threw in this 100 milligrams of inositol just to make it sound different and call it a different name. But that's not the case. Um, If you, you know, we got a patent on that combination. The reason we got a patent on that combination was we did research and we looked at a variety of different doses of inositol. And we saw that, you know, I mean, we started, 
I don't even remember anymore, but probably around, down around 20, 25 uh, milligrams additional. It went all the way up to 1,000 milligrams. And for whatever reason, we thought that you were going to have to take like 1,000 milligrams of additional inositol to see a difference. And it wasn't the case. It did not work as well as 100 milligrams. That's why we were issued a patent. Um, for some reason, and I'm not smart enough to tell you what that reason is, there was this sweet spot at 100 milligrams. And like I said, like, you, they don't, if you know anything about the patent process, it's got to be something novel. You've got to make a novel discovery, basically, in order to get a patent. And I guess that's a detail that people are missing is we got a patent because we showed that this is different. Yes, it has the same base ingredient, but we've made it work better in this particular cognitive realm, and we were granted a patent as a result. Um, so the way I talk to people is, well, first, I often tell that story when I'm, people are asking me what the difference is. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the real difference is in the populations in which we did the study, right? So if you did, if you look at the population in uh, nitrosgene, it's done in, you know, traditional athletes, um, healthy, active people, mm -hmm. um, whereas new level is done in esports athletes. They, uh, you know, again, young, healthy normals, but, you know, the people are doing video games and play, taking cognitive tests. It's different than, you know, um, even the cognitive studies we've done on nitrosagene, you know, one of the studies we did, um, we exercised people to exhaustion. We wanted to see what the effects of nitrosagene were on um, reducing cognitive decline due to physical fatigue. Mm -hmm. And the, the basic uh, study model was, um, you know, you do your baseline, you take your supplementation, whether you're placebo or um, active, then you do um, baseline again, and then like they had to run on a treadmill for a period of I, I think like 15 minutes. Then they had you know like a three minute recovery. They did that again. They have a period of recovery, and then you know they run. I, actually, me not being a limbo, I don't I don't remember if it was time or to exhaustion, but they were spent at the end of the third one. And as soon as they came off here's your test, they sit down and do the cognitive tests. Mm -hmm. And you can, like the difference between the nitrosagene group and the, um, the placebo group is phenomenal, like 50-some percent difference in reduction of cognitive decline. And you can take that and, you know, I always say look at football, right? The, for, by and large, um, interceptions don't happen in the first quarter. They happen in the third and fourth quarter. You know, mentally, which, physically fatigued. Exactly. That quarterback's been making decisions, hard, fast, quick decisions for a while. Of course, when they're more fatigued, they're more likely to to have errors. It's actually there's actually a term for it. It's called quarterback uh, quarterback decline. Wait, I, there is a term for it. Now it's blank. It's like quarterback decline or something like that. Um, fade, quarterback fade. Um, now. Imagine that person has taken nitrosgene that showed, you know, after an hour of strenuous exercise, you got 50% less errors cognitively, right? 
I don't know if that's going to make a difference between a pick or not, but it seems like it could. Yeah. Um, I haven't done a study in football players, so I wouldn't make the claim that we're going to make um, play football better. <laughs> um, but the um, uh, in the gamers, it's actually right. They you do baseline tests, um, and you give you supplement people, and they play video games for you know an hour, and then you give them tests again, and you see how did they did. Um, it's these cognitive tests. There's a number of we've done three different studies now looking at different cognitive tests, mm -hmm. and you know everything from trail making, uh, Stroop test, uh, which is I think one of my favorites. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I like it because it's so hard, um, and it, but. You know, I can't even remember all the other tests right now. There was the most recent study at the University of Arkansas was done on immediate memory. It's the uh, R brands. Mm -hmm. Basic. It's basically an IQ test, right? Um, if you look at it, it is almost identical to the IQ test, and there's 27 percent improvement. And and these were in young people. Yeah. Um. Yeah, eighteen to thirty-two year olds in the new, uh, the most recent test. Right, and you know, the, there's other cognitive products out there that work very, very well, um, but they're typically not done in a gaming population, mm -hmm. let alone in young people. You know, there's a very good product out there. I won't name it, but you know, the only thing, the only criticism I have of it is. It was, it was, man, it, it was designed to go towards seniors, right? So is that even relevant to, to gaming? I mean, that's not to say that there aren't 50 and 6-year-olds playing video games, but I don't think that's the target demographic. Correct. No, I would agree with that. And it's that's another good thing I actually like about these ingredients. I don't know a lot of listeners at this point are saying he's just fanboying over the ingredients. But like when there's when the time is right, I will knock an ingredient because the science is weak. And I've done that plenty of times. But when there's a quality ingredient and you guys aren't just testing it in elderly, out of shape, diabetic, obese individuals that haven't, you know, done more than a 10 minute. The people walk. you're you're easy to get they're easy to get a result in. Right. Yeah, that's what the vast majority of research and granted a significant portion of the world's population is overweight and metabolically unhealthy. And, yep. you know, you know Absolutely. So, and I understand that. But at the same time, those of us that aren't and like taking that are taking measures to make sure we're, we're fit mentally and physically and cardio metabolically and all that other good stuff. We want to know, like these ingredients which show improvements in the most unfit people that they're going to have, you know, a, a similar um, order of magnitude of effect in us too, because great, maybe some grapeseed extract will improve blood pressure markers in somebody that doesn't exercise, doesn't help. But will those same effects carry over to somebody that is, you know, moderately young, fit, healthy, active, has low stress levels and all that. And that's what's good about the research that you guys are doing in some of the other ingredient houses. You're finding fit, active people in, you know, on the, in, on the lower end of the age spectrum. Um, and finding improvements as well. So that's yeah, the and, credit. And, and really, you want healthy normals. I once saw a study on a weight loss product in collegiate wrestlers. 
Mm-hmm. Evaluating change in body composition. Well, like these guys had like 2% body fat to begin with. Of course you didn't see a result. Right. Like, I mean, come on, you can only get your body fat so low. It's just like, this is the stupidest study I've ever seen. They clearly wanted it to fail. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, in the, you know, I, I remember another one years ago when res, res, resveratrol was like the it ingredient. Mm-hmm. So this is like, I don't know, like 2006. Well, this, this person that did the study, they used a 50% resveratrol from Japanese knotweed, right? Mm-hmm. So it was 50% resveratrol and 50% um, crap. <laughs> Whatever else was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not to say that it, it was necessarily bad stuff, but there were other actives. And um, I remember being at this conference and an attendee standing up and saying, like, you completely botched the study by using this ingredient because you didn't test resveratrol. You tested Japanese knotweed. Yeah. And I don't think before that was pointed out to the researcher that the researcher saw the error that they had made. And of course that person was absolutely right. And, and so I think that, you know, when anytime you're looking at the study, this is completely off topic, I apologize. No, 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 no. Anytime you're looking at a study, is it the relevant population? You know, um, it, it, are they, do they, am I represented in some way in this population? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm testing a, a woman's health product, I sure don't want to do it in men. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that one's pretty obvious, right? But you, you know, you should be yeah. looking, you, you know, when you read a scientific study, um, you should be looking, I think first and foremost is, is this population a population that is representative of the target audience? And, um, is it, um, is it possible to see a change? Like the example um, I gave with the collegiate wrestlers, right? Well, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, these guys had literally started out with 2% body fat. Literally, it said in the study, they had 2% body fat. We didn't see a, a significant change in body composition. Like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah, you can't really go down. Can you get like, lower than like, levels of body fat you need. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, by the way, like 2% is about the as low as you can possibly go, right? Like, yep. really, I think like, I'm not a nutrition or health expert, but I somewhere along the member of the line, I remember hearing for like a young male, like really like 10, 12% is kind of like that ideal range, right? Yeah. So to be down at 2%, that's crazy low. Yeah, I mean, that's where professional physique athletes, bodybuilders and the bikini models yeah. and all them, that's what they, the levels they get down to for a for few competition. hours. Yeah. And then they, they bounce right back up because you right. can't sustain that over the long term. I mean, you look at some of the elite, the truly elite, like linebackers, receivers, safety out there. I mean, those guys are shredded to the bone. And I, it just they've got such a high activity level and obviously the genetic component at play because they're yeah. just, you know, physical freaks in the best way possible. Right. Um, but even still, that, I mean, it, obviously, depending on which method of body composition analysis, were they doing DEXA, were they doing it on a bod pod, were they using calipers or one of those little uh, bioelectrical impedance uh, devices, which can be pretty you know, suspect depending on, you know, where, how it's using is it four points at two point and yep. all of that stuff. Um, but I mean, still, when you get down to that low level, it's, 
yeah, you, you're not going to see a, a tremendous fat loss from like 500 milligrams of XYZ ingredient. You're just, yeah. it's not physiologically possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, when you think about like collegiate wrestlers, like when they're making weight, they're dehydrating to make yeah. weight. Right. And same with, you know, boxers and ultimate fighters because their body fat is too low. So they're spending all their time. They're not losing body fat you know, to make weight, they're literally losing water to to make weight. Um, And there was a time in UFC where they would take weight and then they are allowed to get IVs afterwards to to get rehydrated. And I know that that, and that might be in other sports too. I I just, I've had a conversation about this, but I, I know that that has since been banned because it's not even fair, right? (laughs) to lose 10 pounds of water and then put it back on, you know, right before your fight. Um, Yeah, because if you should be fighting at 170, and let's say you're the scrawny guy trying to get up to 170, and then you've got the 220-pound guy. That's probably an over-exaggeration. You've got the 190-pound guy dropping 20 pounds, and then he can, you know, fuel back up. I mean, it's it's David versus Goliath at that point. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm not sure how we got on topic <laughs> <laughs> i think we started with ingredient research and healthy individuals that were kind of we kind of veered off right, right. That's, that's the problem of talking with me is that i go off on tangents <laughs> no man that's what's great that's why you know that's why i like these long form styles either you know the, the writing i do it's, it's not the short little quick hit stuff i like nuance and just kind of let it flow and free wherever it goes that's what i love about the podcast format it's not of Hey, who are you? Who do you work for? What does your daddy do? And then we'll see you next week. Bye. I mean, it's like we, we can do whatever you want to talk about your favorite, like toenail clippers. We can talk about that. We can talk about anything. <laughs> um, a couple of questions. Are you going to be at Supply Side West in October? And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is uh, that's a not a do not miss. I tell anybody involved in the industry, you should, if you only go to one show, that's the one you should go to. Yeah, so I'm planning ahead out there. I haven't been since 2019. Uh, me and Sandy went, and so we're gonna. Um, I no, I'm definitely gonna try and make it out there this year. I'm not sure if it was great. It was, um, attendance was down, but everybody that was there yeah. was like ready to do business. It was the highest quality interactions. Um, you didn't have the trying to collect information so they could create the knockoff version of your product or just people they're like was that person high like <laughs> they're asking such weird questions um expo by the way is the worst that we did booth when you're at expo and like the randos that you had walking up was just <laughs> it was breathtaking and it's just like oh my god what what was that person on like <laughs> yeah. and then there's there's always certain people you always see at every trade show, like certain people, uh, types of person, uh, 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 people that walk up. And one of my favorite is the, the person, the guy or girl that wants to demonstrate their knowledge. And so they come in and they ask you a question when they already know the answer and they kind of quiz in you. I got, see that guy over there. That girl over there, they want to talk to me too. Don't waste my time. Right. <laughs> you didn't have any of that. You didn't have any of that. It was every, everybody that was there was like, boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, they were legit. They were interested. Um, yeah, it was, it was in the fact that I think it 
wasn't, you know how sometimes the aisles are so packed that you miss stuff? It wasn't that crazy packed. And everybody I talked to from, you know, every brand was like, yeah, this was like the best expo, or I mean the best supply side in years. So I'm hoping we have a bit more of that again this year. I imagine it'll it'll bounce back even bigger. Um, But yeah, it's a great show. Okay, good. I'm I'm excited. I need to book uh, tickets now probably and start getting that lined up. It's funny, while we were talking, I got a text message that um, said, did you book Supply Side yet? <laughs> did you book a hotel room in Supply Side yet? There you go. Um, what's on the horizon for the rest of 2022 for y'all? And then I guess into 2023, is it, do y'all have any new ingredients in the works or more research on current stuff in-house? So we have... Yes to both. We have, we're always working, as you commented earlier, we're always working on more studies on our ingredients, um, existing ingredients, and we have a pipeline of new products that we're working on. I suspect we won't see um, something new from in-house probably until 24, just based on how long it takes to develop an ingredient and bring it to market. Um, But the... uh, you know, we're, you'll probably, let's see, we have uh, a study ongoing right now on Chromax. Um, it's the first study we've done on Chromax in a while. Um, and it's it should be interesting. Um, it's looking at, again, healthy normals and effects on blood glucose levels, um, kind of a GDA study. Um, that one should be pretty interesting. Um, additionally, you know, design for a new study on Lestriva, which is mm-hmm. our Beauty From Within ingredient that we launched uh, late last year that has really taken off. It's in the nine years I've been at Nutrition 21, it is the most successful launch I've ever had, I've ever seen. Um, there's some really big products coming to market in the next year. Between Q4 and Q1, um, there's a lot of really great products coming to market. Um, and uh, so we'll be doing more studies on that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think there's room for, other, there's always room for other studies. Um, there's been talk about additional Velocitol research. Um, I'm not sure where that is on the priorities list of all the other things that the R&D uh, group has to uh, uh, execute on, mm-hmm. but that's certainly very, uh, something I, I would like to see is more research there. Yeah. And uh, did y'all encounter any supply chain issues with getting enough of the, the raw materials, I guess, to synthesize and, and react these things together and make the ingredients in particular? Because we know we've heard no. about those issues all over the board with, you know, just regular raws like creatine and citrulline and, and whey protein. So Yeah, so we manufacture in the U.S., um, but, you know, some of our inputs do come from abroad. But just the fact that we're manufacturing in the U.S. means we're way ahead of our, t- uh, our supply chain to bring them in. So I think we were largely ahead. Now, absolutely saw massive increases in cost of our inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we stayed in stock 100% um, throughout the entire pandemic. Um, I think, you know, we're probably the only, we might be the only company that can say that, that we, and actually in the nine years I've been here, we've never had an out of stock. Um, now I will say that um, at the height of the pandemic, we had to extend lead times on our,
our zinc our zinc products in Max because mm-hmm. there was such demand for zinc um, that we were saying, hey, we need eight weeks lead time. But but then we were still hitting that those dates. Um, yeah. but and so y'all make all the ingredients the here in the states. All of the ingredients are actually homegrown, or not not homegrown, but they're home. Either y'all are actually they're manufactured. Them. Yeah, the, uh, the zinc is actually the one exception. Um, mm-hmm. We used to make that in the U.S. Um, unfortunately, we had to move it offshore for cost reasons, and so now yeah. it is made in India. Um, but everything else uh, manufactured in the United States, cool. which is costly, but it also gives us a, a unique. Uh, advantages in terms of our supply chain. Plus, I mean, it's nice to be supporting American jobs, right? Agreed. Especially if the past two years have shown us anything, it's that we kind of need to reinvest in American manufacturing. Manufacturing. Hardcore. 100%. Yep. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, Todd. What uh, What's your daily supplement regimen look like? Oh, my goodness. Um, I should go up and grab it. So I take the Ghost Multi. Um, I'll even give you brands in some cases. Um, I take uh, Ubiquinol every single day. Um, I take um, Chromax every single day. I take Zinmax every single day. Um, the Let's see, what else do I take? Uh, I take a, an algal source DHA. I take... Um, been taking maca since we introduced maca uh even though we no longer offer it i still take maca because i like it mm-hmm. um i uh what else do we have pretty much every day i have a protein shake with philosophy in it um and um i honestly i take nitrosagene or new level um on pretty much a daily basis i always tell people like when i'm selling it we have like these stick packs um you know, they're just mm-hmm. new level or nitrosagene um, that we hand out. And I tell people, I'm like, you know how like two o'clock your caffeine wears off and you're like, oh my God, how am I going to make it through the day? Like take, you know, a new level or nitrosagene to what you think. And it's phenomenal. Like the, it's, it's great because it's like, you, it gives you this great energy boost, but it's not stimulus. I can still go to bed at night. Right. right. Um, so I pretty much take, I, I think that the sales team probably uses more of these sales, these, the sales tool personally than we actually give out. Yeah. Um, You've sent me a couple of those packs over the, over a couple of years back. You sent me a bunch of those. I don't remember. I tore through those in, in rapid yeah, succession. It's so, it's so convenient. It's yeah. so convenient. Um, I, I actually would love to see somebody uh, because like, friends and family are always hitting me up for them and i'm like guys i'm trying to run a business here i can't just be like (laughs) giving shit away but i wish somebody would do like a standalone you know a product like this you know right just a 30 pack of them right because then i could tell people like here go go do this but is that something y'all would consider is just uh and i've asked matt this over at compound uh, several years back of what about just releasing your own in-house line of ingredients, just the nutritional, like like you just said, the 30-pack of that, but y'all sell it under you. That way you've, you've got a high I, I, I think that um, an ingredient supplier should not compete against their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter how I marketed this, you know, if I were selling it, I'd be competing against 
my customers at some level. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I would rather, and there are standalone nitrosogen gene products out there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's three. I can only think of one right now, but I feel like, uh, I think there's two or three. We try to limit the number of standalones because um, it quickly becomes a, with a branded ingredient, it becomes cost per serving, right? Right. So it's a it's a race to the bottom, um, and and I think most brands recognize that for the most part, standalone ingredients. If there's a lot of people having them, it's not. Um, so I don't say I encourage it, but the one thing I would definitely encourage is like an easy to use, you know, stick pack kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Because it is so convenient. Like, all of us walk around with them. And, and like, everybody that works for Nutrition 21 walks around with these things in their briefcase and, like, yeah. afternoon slump. Honest to God, like, I swear we use it. We, you know, you have to buy a lot of stick packs. You have to buy, like, 25,000 at a time. Yeah. And I swear we probably use 15,000 of them in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, anything else you want to plug? Uh, Todd, before I let you go, I've kept you on for for a good while here. Anything? No, or, no problem. Contact I, where people want to reach out to you or anything? I mean, um, so our website, uh, you know, is set up obviously for brands, but, you know, consumers do come on and ask us questions uh, through the site. To the best of our ability, we'll, we'll answer those. A lot of the times people are asking questions that, you know, are health questions and we're not doctors. We can't answer those kind of questions, but if it's a you know, uh, a, a question about, you know, how something works or, or where can I find this? And on our website, you can connect to virtually all the products um, that are offered. Um, there's a where to find or where to, yeah, where to find page where you can look up each of the, the products that are on there. Um, by and large, if they're, um, I would say, at any given time, we have 99, 95% of the products that are available listed there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, if you wanted to get a hold of me uh, directly, I'm not a big social user, but <laughs> um, you can certainly, uh, you know, tag me on Instagram or uh, I'm never on Facebook. Instagram, you might be able to get a hold of me directly. Okay, so, perfect. Yeah. Awesome, Todd. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk soon. Have a great day. Thanks. You too, man. Take care.